Hi, and welcome to episode 103 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolzer, and I'm bringing you a great conversation I had last year with leading artist Ewan McLeod. But first, Happy New Year. I hope you are all safe and well. Here in Sydney, we're experiencing a few mini COVID outbreaks. Uh, Crossing our fingers, it doesn't escalate. Even though we're still going through shaky times, I'm getting the feeling there's a hopeful outlook for 2021, and I hope that continues. This is the first of my summer series episodes where I'm bringing you extended audio recordings from videos I've taken of my podcast guests. As is the way with videos, a lot of great material gets edited out in the making. So I'm bringing you the longer conversations, including parts which weren't included in the videos. All my videos are on the website talkingwithpainters.com and also on my YouTube channel, Talking With Painters. I caught up with Ewan in September 2020 at his knockout show, Figure in a Dissolving Landscape at King Street Gallery on William in Sydney. I've previously interviewed Ewan in 2016 in episode 11, and although we do share him with New Zealand, where he was born, he's one of our most celebrated and respected artists. He's won the Archibald, Wynn and Sulman and the Gallipoli Prize, just to name a few. And the show at King Street Gallery was strong and dramatic. Figures in icy environments which were inspired by Ewan's trip to the Tasman Glacier in New Zealand. And that trip was sandwiched between the Australian bushfires and the onset of COVID in Australia in early 2020. There's a link to the three and a half minute video on the website, but here is our full 20 minute conversation at the gallery. It's funny that aspect of coming to your own show because it's hard to take it in in a way, you know. It actually, you're kind of, well, a little bit overwhelmed yourself, I think. And um, looking at all the work and the memories of it, and um, it, it's actually hard to, to look at them, I find, to look at them objectively. Um, and maybe this is your opportunity. They're out of your studio. They're in a neutral space. And, but when you're looking at them with someone else or you're looking at it almost through their eyes, I think that, that's when they start maybe looking at, at them in terms of you know, like a child leaving home. You start seeing them as a, an adult, you know, your child, but you know, they're not anymore. It is interesting that aspect of the private, you know, the private activity of painting the work in the studio and then the public having them on the walls, people see them and that is quite confronting. A lot of people have, you think of the vivisector and um, Patrick White talking about, I think, he, he kind of mentioned it was like the, the guys looking at his dirty washing or his, you know, it is, it's, it's like people seeing something you almost don't know if you should let them see it. It's all, almost an intimacy that it's a bit too personal sometimes. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And so, and then remove, and also removing it from the space of your studio, it almost, it must, does it feel like it looks different? Because I've come oh, across many absolutely. artists who say that. Absolutely. But I, I do that all the time anyway, where I take them out of the studio and put them, just hang them in our house. And having, just having that detachment from the studio means I can actually see them. I can actually, and, and often 
I look at them in the studio and I think, oh, what does it need, you know? And I put, don't know, and I take it out, put it in the house, and immediately you see it. You know, you just think, oh, that's shocking. Yeah. You know, look at that. Um, <laughs> that's wrong. That colour's wrong. That shape's wrong. Yeah. Uh, take it back in the studio, work on it, and... Um, yeah, it, it's, so it's kind of, kind of handy having a studio that's not too far from the house, I've got to say. Yeah, true. <laughs> well, you know, let's talk about this show. Congratulations, it's magnificent. Thanks, Maria. Um, Thank can, you. You, can we talk about this, the, you know, with the origins of this show? Because it's like, you actually went to, you went yeah. to a glacier in Tasmania, yeah. in New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. Tell me about it. What was it like? Well, look, it's a place that I've been to quite a... You know, I went there when I was young. I, I, I have these really early memories of going up there with my parents um, when I was about five, I think. And, um, and it was a pretty freaky place because you've got these avalanches going off all the time. It's quite frightening, quite a frightening place. And so, and as I got older, I started bushwalking and then we call it tramping in New Zealand and then climbing and so I went back climbing but you know it was even more frightening then because you're actually climbing these mountains and they're, they're pretty intimidating and it's a very harsh environment. But so were you, did you climb the, a gla- the glacier then or was it, was it, was yes, it just... Yes you could, you could go all the way up the Tasman Glacier, we walked all the way up it and all the way down it which you cannot do anymore yeah, right. it's, and the, we stayed in a hut sort of not the same hut which is completely gone the whole area now has fallen into the glacier so the 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 evidence of climate change is just phenomenal up there and in the small time i've been there there's now a huge lake which didn't exist before you know they take jet boat tours on it and that's so that's sadly it is 40 years i've got to say but um it doesn't feel like that long ago so the, 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 there was always a, a, a passion of going up there again and, and experiencing it and actually physically painting there. Yeah. So I took paints up, we helicoptered in, um, we got a guide to uh, look after us. Uh, but I went with another couple of guys, both, both, you know, we, um, both of them quite good climbers in their, in their day, but now we're all old sort of geriatrics that uh, <laughs> have to have a young sort of sprightly guy guiding us. But that was, you know, was remarkable having that because it's a real sense of safety. And were there crev- crevasses? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally um, walking in amongst the crevasses. And, and look, um, it's pretty safe, really. I mean, if you fall in one, you've got your rope together so you can, you can extract yourself. Yeah. But you're in, a, you're in an environment that is quite fragile, but at the same time is quite frightening. And it, it's a very interesting area. Um, and I guess I'd never ever sort of felt the insecurity of the place. I mean, I guess when you're young, you just see this place as it'll always be there and it's, you know, it's tough and it's aggressive and it, you know, it tells climbers to piss off, you know. Um, And now I look at it and I think, gee, it's all, this area is all, the glaciers are all receding, the the mountains are falling down. You know, the, um, it's quite frightening what is happening up there. Um, and in a very in very short period of time, this is um, uh, yeah, it's it's in real danger. 
Well, I notice I, I can see in this painting behind you that um, there is this brownish tinge to the ice, and I understand there's a story behind that. Can you tell me about it? Yeah, and it was bizarre when we flew over, going flight flew over from Australia, and looking out the window, and all the mountains were pink. And it was just the weirdest thing. Uh, I was sort of gutted because I thought, I want to paint this and I've got this horrible pink all over it. But of course, I can do whatever I like. I can paint them white, I can paint them whatever colour. And in the, in the end, what it transpired it was from was the bushfires from Australia and all this, um, this ash and I guess dirt, soil, had, had blown over because it was, it was a pink colour. Was it during the time the actual bushfires that well, you were there? Well, it was just after it. So I was there in February this year and really early in February. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, it, it was um, just after it. So all these winds had blown it all across. Um, and New Zealanders were, they were cl complaining about the smoke. I mean, they didn't get it as bad as we got it, but... Um, but I, I kind of thought that was an incredibly interesting sort of metaphor of walking around on, on Australia as well as on New Zealand. It was a kind of lovely um, sense of that idea of where do I live? Do I live in Australia or do, do I live in New Zealand? And this was a kind of a combination of the two of them. And I, I found that quite fascinating, but it's still bloody horrible, you know. Yeah. Um, and so you can see it, how I've used it in a painting like that, where the, this red stain is like a, is like a figure, like a shadow. Um, and they were like that. They were quite strange. Yes. Well, and also, I mean, that's what I also want to talk to you about, the way you paint ice and snow, because it's, um, well, it's usually a, a, the bluish sort of colours that you would use. But do you find, um, I mean, to, to get that authentic um, appearance that you do, colour must be really important. Yeah, it's one of those things that's very difficult to paint. It's really tricky. It's like water because you want a sense of, I mean, it is like a river. It flows. The glaciers flow. And so you want that, that beautiful sense of, of the movement. And, and, and if you get bogged down too much in the detail, um, it's really, really difficult. A lot of these works, I didn't use photographs. I took a lot of photographs. I did drawings when I was up there. But a lot of them, it's, it's totally concocted. Um, and so when I look at the photographs as well, I kind of realise, oh, yeah, that, that's a little bit more subtle. Can we see some that you're talking about? Like, are there any in particular that you would point out that you, would, that you really used your imagination for? Yeah, um, this one. Not to, you don't have to walk too far. And in this one, it, I kind of liked it because he looks like he's walking on a piano. But there was a sense of the, of the crevasses being cut sliced and, and you know they're very geometric but of course they're not that geometric they're um but they were these lines that just ran in the in the in the ice for just for miles they were incredible and then they'd cut you know at, at right angles quite quite beautiful so a lot of it's imagination as well but you're kind of distilling what you remember um, and you're not so I think if you use photographs too much I think there'd be a tendency to get bogged down in the detail so you want to try and drop that as well yeah we'll talk it well, talking about that I mean getting not getting bogged down in detail I think one of the most um, you know distinctive things with your work is the figure mm. and that the mm. figure is I mean, definitely not bogged down in detail 
want to be the opposite. And actually, no, but that's true. Actually, that's a very good point in a way. And that I don't want the figure to be anyone in specific. And I don't. I want it to be a kind of an every type, every person, in a way, genderless, and certainly not located in a certain time. You kind of notice that a lot of the things they're wearing, they have to wear something. They can't be naked because that just looks a bit, a bit nutty up on the snow. But you know, I put parkers on them because, they, and, and they're, they're kind of, I suppose they look a little bit old-fashioned, a bit more like old Antarctic explorers, really. And I, I and I didn't give them ice axes. I usually gave them a stick rather than a, an ice axe, just because I like the form of the stick. So there's certain things I accentuated. I love the rope, but I didn't want to give the guy a harness. You know, we had to wear these harnesses that. So if you fell in a crevasse, you know, you could dangle there for a few hours without getting strangled. I think just on a rope, you'd probably, um, you'd probably expire. Yeah, yeah, get sliced in half, probably. So, so you're kind of using your imagination a little bit in terms of what you're wanting to show and simplifying that down. And so it's the same with the landscape. You're simplifying it down. Yeah, well, also another thing with the landscape is in these works is that the perspective is really interesting. And... Uh, it's often high, you know, mm, a, a view. A bird's from a, eye view. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I think up in the mountains you do get a sense of a bird's eye view. You are often looking down, and um, I guess within that is a, is a sense of fear, the vertigo, you know, you're, you're, you know, that sense of whoa down there, you know, and often you're looking at. Um, you're often looking at habitation way, way down. I always remember, you know, you'd be up on the mountain and you're looking down at the hermitage and you're sitting up there, you know, kind of thinking, shit, at any minute I could die. And they're down there having, you know, daiquiris um, looking back up. And so it, it's kind of weird, a weird disconnect, really, um, which I, I kind of think a lot of the time the mountains, it is about, um, yeah, it is about looking. There is a sense of looking down. But often if I'm working on an image, yes, I sort of start, I sort of do think I move around a bit, like think, think my way around it and through it. And a lot of it's just to do with the composition, really, what, what works if you want to show a few different figures, you know, if you go low or if you go high, if you put the, the light source from one way or another, twisting things around. Um, and I kind of love that, that sense of it, you know, like, you, like you're a, a, um, a drone and you're moving around. And I kind of love that in the sense of a figure when you're looking up at the figure or down at the figure. Mm. Um, and and, and in, a, in a way that trying to make it up, trying to sort of work it out um, on, the, on the canvas. Yeah. And, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, you know, um, uh, like the fire in, in that work over there where, um, do you want to move yeah, over to that or? Um, like the campfire. Um, in that one, I tried that in another in another work, and it just it didn't work at all. I had to, you know, the the fire was too big. I had to make it smaller, or you know, the the relationship between the fire and the tent, you know, it, it sort of, do you want it to be intimate or do you want it to be grand? And and a lot of those things, you kind of see them when you when you've got it. Exactly. And when you say you see it, do you mean you get some sort of you, you feel a reaction to it. That's right. It resonates and you feel, oh, yeah, that's... And I loved painting a lot of the snow and ice. Um, and in a way, it was kind of like almost imagining it as you, you know, imagining walking around and, and, and you know, you, you paint, paint the mark one way and it's totally wrong. You've got to put it the other way just to, to, to make it feel right, to make it feel like the sense of flow is right. 
because everything up there is falling down. It's all, it's all in a state of flux, and it's really important. It is all sagging. You know, it's all forcing down. Maybe that's why you do the the bird's eye thing works so well. But you know, like the the, the rocks are all breaking and falling away. They're also pushing up, but they're falling down, and the ice is all falling down. And um, you know, everything is just there's a sense of pushing and and those kind of forces those elemental forces they're just amazing just utterly beautiful and and I guess psychologically they do something to me but I don't um, I don't think too much about what I'm trying to do beforehand Um, and you tend to grab things and put them in but simplify down too you know do, do you need to know what size boots the guy's wearing or do you need to know if he's got a hat on or or she's got a parker on or the the dog's got a you know collar i don't know what, whatever you know you put in what you, what's important not what's not important and i guess it's the same for the landscape um yeah it's um but on the other hand i guess it has to work as well um i mean the the most ridiculous thing I suppose is the boats up there but it kind of looks like oh there's a boat there I can see it you know there it is it must be there yeah exactly and can you tell me a bit about the ceramics because they are just absolutely fantastic Um, have you done much ceramic work before I always work with a with ceramic artist and they'll make the forms and and all of them work in a slightly different way. These ones were done La Paloma pottery with Kim and Lino up at Hill End, who are adorable people, they're fantastic people, and um, they were very happy to make me the forms, that they're their forms, and they made these, these beautiful forms and the platters. And what I love about their work is it's quite gritty. There's a, there's a grittiness which really emulates the paint, it's sort of like the surface, and it emulates the surface up there. You know, it's a very gritty, sort of a place up there. It's, it's not nice and, you know, well the snow, if you look at a lot of the photos of it, it's all got rocks through it and it's, it's, it's not pretty, it's all, it's rugged. You know, there's a real sense of ruggedness in the way it's been formed, which is, I love because it's just like the paintings. You know, I love paint that where you see how it's been applied and it's been troweled on. There's not a sense of preciousness, there's a sense of, it, it um, being a means to an end, which is the image. And and do you find that you respond to the form when you decide what to paint on? Is yes, that how you decide yes, it? Yes. So I gave them a bit of an idea what I wanted of a sort of a form like that, which Lino had made one of those for me one other time. So, and then they, um, they made up the forms. I went up there, had a look at them. And yeah, that's exactly right. So, and I respond very intuitively to them. So I just worked quite quickly, um, totally exhausted after a day doing that. Um, And yeah, it was beautiful up there. And of course, Lino is the most amazing cook. Kim too, actually, they're fantastic cooks. And then you've got Luke up there. And um, so let's just say very, very enjoyable time was had (laughs) after the pottery was done. But they add a kind of, they kind of add something three-dimensional to the show, which I love, you know. And they they kind of are mountainous forms, not not too too obviously, but um, you know, I really like them. And there is a sense of the collapsing in them as well, the the weight pushing down on them, which I think is really clever. So um, yeah, but certainly respond to that shape. 
you know, I really love the way you paint figures and I love the way that you're able to describe a gesture in, in such a economical way. And I was wondering whether, you know, you had any advice for, say, art students that are starting out who are drawing the figure as to what you think is the main, you know, the crux of what you should be getting when you are considering, you know, depicting a figure. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. I, I, my, I mean, I think everybody, it's like the landscape, it's everybody's doing it in their own way and you need to find, I, I suppose it, it's, it follows what you're actually trying to do with the figure. And for me, I guess it is that sense of a figure in motion, a figure moving, a figure alive, um, which I've, I've kind of done all, the time, all my whole life. It's about the, the figure being part of the landscape and how we how we kind of are in it you know I mean it is that thing where I'm painting on plein air and a figure walks past and I think wow I've got to get that you know and what bit do you capture because again like the landscape it's what you leave out is just as important as what you leave in and I do think um, uh, life painting is incredibly important or life drawing is really really important and to keep doing it and practicing it um, because I think that is where you can simplify from. But then, you know, I had a teacher who, he was the most amazing draftsman and um, he was classically trained and all that. And, and his figures were just insane. He'd sit down and he'd draw it all from memory and he knew all the muscles and the bones and, and he could just draw a knee. And, um, but it kind of lost its, it lost touch with some sort of sense of spontaneity. And, and his portraits, had a sense of there was no difference between painting a person and painting a building. Well, to me, they're very different things. And in a way, I'd kind of like to paint a mountain like a person, and because it is alive, that sense of the, the getting the sense that it's alive. But for me, that's the thing about a person. You know, they're not an inanimate object. They're not sort of dead in the corner. They're alive. And I, I, especially with the Archibald coming up, you know, that, that whole idea of trying to get a, a, a person trying to see beneath the surface. So the same as the landscape, I think, seeing, seeing what's under there, seeing the, you know, we're, we're seeing the surface of something. You want to see what's beneath the surface. So I don't, in terms of advice, I guess it, it's different for different people. But for me, that's what's important. And I think um, the same as I think working on plain air keeps it fresh and keeps new ideas coming in. They, they kind of find their own way, I think. Oh, that's great advice. Well, congratulations again on this magnificent show. You Thanks, and Maria. And thank you for what you're doing. It's wonderful. Such a generous artist. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ewan McLeod. Over this summer break, I'll be posting on social media. So hang out with me on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Keep well and hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters.